This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Public.com and Ledin.io. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. What is up, everyone? I am your host, Charlie Shrem, and you are listening and watching another beautiful edition of Untold Stories, where twice a week together, we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders to find out how this movement truly came to be. And what we're learning is where are we right now and where we're going. And on today's episode, we're actually going to learn about a lot of cool topics, some things that I like to call proof of brain, tapping into your brain trust, being able to use that capital and the resources that that you know we have in in these thick skulls of ours and be able to translate that into you know the financial future of tomorrow be able for for our families but also be able to have a, a high quality of life and to be able to uh wake up every day and smile and I think that's the most important thing and today uh, on the show to talk about that we have Adam Jackson one of the co-founders of the Brain Trust project Adam thank you so much for taking the time and coming on untold stories today Charlie, thanks for having me, man. I'm a I'm a big fan of this show and uh, excited to come on and chat with you. I'm a big fan of the show too. It's like episode two thirty eight or something, uh, and I'm just starting awesome. to now think about what like a season two will look like. I'm thinking of producing maybe like a comedy variety show, like an SNL for crypto once a month, live in a studio. I don't know, like a wait, wait, don't tell me type of audio show. There's so many different things that I want to do, but I love doing this. This is my right here, be able to sit a few days a week and talk to some really cool people about some really cool topics. It's just, it's what we're here for. It's awesome. I love the, love the format. You, you should, somebody needs to do an SNL for crypto though. Mm. I mean, all, all you got to do is go on Twitter for about an hour and read the tweets and there's your show. Yeah. Right. It's a good point. <laughs> so brain, brain trust. And I'm, and I'm, I want to jump right into it so we can mm. utilize all the time that we have, but Brain trust is an idea that probably back in the early days of Craigslist, this was thought. I mean, Craigslist was invented to do exactly this take because if, if folks who remember, Craigslist was one of the, the first way on the Internet that we not just communicated with each other, but we started transacting with people we didn't know. And that is a big thing, because back then that was probably step one into that metaverse that everyone talks about now, just the, you know, people and socially, it's a slow, slow move, but being able to do that. And now fast forward, we have 2021 brain trust is one of the first decentralized talent networks that connects skilled, vetted, knowledgeable workers with leading companies. And what's very cool about this and why I love how, you know, kind of what you did with the blockchain based alternative here is that the pricing mechanism, and I want to understand more about that, but essentially you guys do all of the, your key value proposition is your efficient price discovery. But before we get, you know, how everything is priced and before, before we get kind of into that, I want to understand why Craigslist still, in your opinion, hasn't been disrupted yet. Why does it still exist? Yeah, you know, this is a really interesting take on this. And I, I haven't thought about the way you approach this until just now, but it, but it actually makes sense. So Craigslist, you know, was the first ostensibly, you know, web service to connect buyer and seller, right? And it turns out, you know, that was web one, right? And then web two introduced trust. What Craigslist had that was amazing was no rake, right? It was free to use. And that, and that enabled all these amazing transactions. You could buy a car, you can get an apartment, you can buy a house. Uh, all these categories, you know, sprang up. 
uh, from products to services, all peer to peer. What they lacked was trust, right? So uh, uh, the web two innovation was create a place to transact and introduce trust and reputation. Oh, and rake, right? So web two innovated the rake and, uh, and the rake, you know, got out of control, right? It's, you know, anywhere from 25 to 55 plus percent, depending on the category. And so trust is, is amazing. It's essential, right? It's, it's so hard to transact without it now on the web, but, or at least some kind of provable identity, et cetera. Um, but the rake ends up killing the potential of the marketplace. The higher the rake, the more incentive there is for the two parties transacting to disintermediate. Like the, the VIG, operator. we used the to VIG. call it. Yeah, yeah, the VIG, the rake, the whatever you want. Fees, they're awful. Um, the higher the fees, the, the the less interesting transactions can hit the marketplace. And so, um, you know, with Web three, it's almost like going back to the Web one days from a rake perspective, right? Web three inherits trans uh, 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 inherits reputation and trust from Web two, but sheds the rake gives the power back to the users, just like in the Craigslist days, but creates this place where now your reputation can live online. You actually know who you're dealing with because the identity and work history of someone is not Upwork or Fiverr's intellectual property. It actually can live on the blockchain and can be transparent. So back to your question, I, I sorry, I couldn't help but but draw that kind of web one, web two, web three narrative, but, um, and I'm going to use that now because I've never, I, before you said yeah. it, I've never thought of it. Um, but but why is no one disrupted Craigslist? Because when you introduce rake, you leave room for players that take no rake. And so Craigslist operates in every single category except tech jobs in San Francisco, where they charge a $75 fee. And that was last time Smart. I looked, it might be yeah. higher. Um, but so all these Web2 marketplaces that you know put a nicer UI and, and take a huge fee, there's still room for Craigslist, right? There's still room for the no rake carrier. It's it's really interesting because I look at the stories now about how folks who are who are turning five hundred dollars into five hundred thousand turn you know folks who are turning five hundred into five million. It's not you know we're almost desensitized to it. We see it often. If you're willing to do the work, listen to the show, and understand how of kind of like the innards of this new internet that we're building works, you can make a lot of money. It almost reminds me of that guy who turned like a Snickers bar into a Porsche on Craigslist. Do you remember that? It was yeah, like a few, trade, like, trade for this, trade for this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's what efficient price discovery, efficient price discovery, uh, they'd be able to have two parties where there's trust and all of the different metrics of like the trust and everything kind of goes into effect. And then, and then on the, uh, at the same time, uh, elevating that into services. So it's not just about products, it's about services, but it's not just, you know, like Amazon Turk, just data entry services. These are high, high, highly specialized services where you have to have through brain trust, efficient price discovery. Why start this? This is not a low hanging fruit. Obviously Craigslist still exists, so it's not a low hanging fruit. Why? Yeah, um, you know, the, the big idea behind brain trust was the idea that a user-owned network could grow faster and become more valuable than an investor-owned network. And so the, the way I came to this theory was, uh, you know, my background was I'm a software engineer, came out to California, turned entrepreneur. I've been starting and investing in 
Web2 marketplaces my whole career, um, e-commerce, automotive, healthcare, um, and investing in many more. And, and I realized like the more fee you take out of these transactions through the rake, um, the, the more uh, incentive misalignment you have between the users on the network and the folks who own the network. And because Web2 marketplaces are all venture backed, they end up being investor owned. Can you and say that again? Yeah. Wait, which part? I want to go more into that a little bit about the incentives of users versus owners. Yeah. So let, let me back up. So like the playbook for Web2 marketplaces, eBay probably being the first all the way up to you know these giant gig economy companies like oh, yeah. DoorDash and Uber. The, the playbook for starting those is you raise a ton of money, hundreds of millions or billions in venture capital. You use that money to subsidize one or both sides of the marketplace, kind of like how Uber started and we're giving rides away really cheap, Lyft, same deal, DoorDash, you know, they were, it was cheaper to use DoorDash and go to the restaurant at some, at some point, right? And they, they, so they subsidize the marketplace in order to gain liquidity, right? To attract buyers, attract sellers, supply, demand. If they're lucky enough to break out, to break Earth's orbit and actually build a valuable marketplace and a brand that people want to use and transact on both sides, they're very lucky, right? Now, they've now raised billions of dollars. Now it's time to pay back the investors. And rightfully so, right? Those investors were risk capital. They deserve a return. That return comes in the form of higher and higher fees or rake or VIG, whatever you want to call it. And so the higher the rake goes on these marketplaces, the more incentive there is for those mm. users to leave, right? And so my big idea back in 2018, when we were writing the, the token economic paper for what is now Brain Trust, was user-owned marketplaces will grow faster, become more valuable than investor-owned marketplaces. And so the idea is invert the web two playbook where you raise tons of money and you're owned by investors and then you have a big rake, invert all of it, raise minimal amount of money, get your users involved early and often instead of hiring tons of employees, give control and ownership of your network away. This is where the token comes in, right? Because you couldn't give, you know, 50 million Uber drivers shares of a Delaware C and, you know, who are spanning 50 or 60 countries. Um, control of, of Web3 networks comes in the form of a token. And because the users who make their living on this network also control it, they have an incentive to not charge themselves a high rake. So that enables the rake to come down. So our rake on talent with Brain Trust is 0%. Clients play, pay a flat 10% fee. It's meant to break even. And now when you have these really low rakes, big, interesting, ongoing jobs can transact on the marketplace. This is very cool. So, so, oh, wow. So what type of, of work? I mean, you go to braintrust.com, you use braintrust.com. It's like looking at Indeed, not like I'm looking at a Craigslist. Interface matters yeah, in this does. world, as, as you know well. Um, we, we, it has to be presentable. Um, Cra Craigslist UI was not our North Star. Their fee structure was. Don't, I know. I don't think it's anyone's North Star, but it worked <laughs> for some reason. Do you remember when, like, I think there was a new UI that launched, like, in 2007, maybe. No, 2011. It was called, like, a boot, Bootstrap. And um, a lot of, like, from Twitter to Coinbase to BitInstant, we were all using this. It was free. It was beautiful. It just it was so simple and looked good. But this this looks a lot better. So 
So is there is there a mechanism in which in the future we can uh, tokenize our brains or tokenize the future value of what our brains can do into some sort of like financial tool that you can leverage. Does that kind of make sense? Um, I, 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 I would need to ask follow-up questions for that to, to make, like, yeah. can, you give me, can, you, can you give me an example? Okay. So you have, you have someone on the platform that's, that's continuing to, to earn income, to, to make the platform, uh, uh, they're, they're a holder. They're continuing to make the platform uh, uh, grow, uh, the blockchain grow, attracting more users, more people on it. Um, more job postings, more different type of things all around. Can a person build a reputation that can then be borrowed against? I'm talking about tokenizing human uh, capital. That's a cool idea. Uh, well, that is not currently a feature on BrainTrust that I'm aware of, but uh, it's so it's a good idea. You're, you're essentially proving your intellectual ability uh, on chain, which, which we do today. So um, on BrainTrust, you propose, you bid on jobs, you get the job, say you're going to build a piece of sophisticated software for Goldman Sachs. You complete the job, Goldman's happy with you. You So you earn immutable reputation that you know you were five out of five on all the aspects you got rate, rated on and you did the job and earned, say, $90,000 doing the job. That's all you, you know your immutable work history. That starts to build a, a fingerprint basically that's what i'm uh, that's what i'm getting at like tokenizing yeah. that reputation especially the more highly 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 specialized thing like you said someone building software for goldman sachs that's a long vetting process the goldman sachs doesn't allow everyone to obviously you have to have certain like uh uh, uh probably have to pass certain tests and things like that but once you do that and you're on that course that could be tokenized to not just benefit the one who's doing the work but benefit the blockchain itself yeah, it, it, it's a really cool idea. I've never heard anyone say that before. The first step of that is proving you are that good by completing these jobs and getting these reviews done, and then increasing your hourly rate. Back to your point about price discovery, the interesting thing about what we've learned running a global talent network is that there's unlimited demand, global demand for, for tech talent and limited supply. And so we're not, you know, we essentially, BrainTrust is essentially a matching engine. It's a DEX for technical talent. And so price discovery is, we're about to publish a, 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 a global um, real-time dashboard that shows actually the real-time rates for hundreds of different, different skills that transact on BrainTrust. So that's the first step to tokenizing intellect, I guess. And I want to understand this more uh, uh, I want to understand this a little bit better because a lot of people are asking today, how do you do price discovery of NFTs? But I ask more, more deeper questions than that is how do we do price discovery of everything? Because everything will be tokenized. Our brains will be tokenized. There'll be price discovery on us. There'll be price discovery, everything that can be and will be securitized and tokenized. Because like you said, it creates more efficient rakes. It creates more efficient VIGs. It allows both parties without needing trust. Uh, and I think that like just this morning, you had the CPI numbers and then you have the employment numbers coming later on this week. Do, we, do you think that we're, um, the way we kind of take employment numbers, is that wrong? Because as we go towards, like you said, the DoorDash, the gig economy, that's the job. 
you know, someone online doing something with NFTs or, you know, breeding horses on Zed Run and being able to race them and earn money, uh, that person doesn't have a job. So they're technically unemployed. Are we looking at kind of, we looking, are we still kind of like managing our economy in 1.0 when we're building the two, the 3.0? I think that is true in so many different dimensions. I mean, the, the way employment is, me is measured to the point you just made is, is completely false. Um, the way uh, prices are measured, the CPI is a joke, right? It's just something the government kind of shows up and says, look, inflation is not that bad. And it's going away. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah but it I is. It is bad. Broken. And it's not going away. That's the problem. Correct. Do you see a future where prices won't be just like, how does it work with equity and with shares and things like that? Right now, we're just looking at the dollar or crypto or burst being the mechanism in which things are transacted. How do you operate if someone wants to build something where there's equity involved or shares or warrants? Has that ever been asked for? Like, like denominating the value of an hour of your time in something other than dollars. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I think th this is a, this is a lifeblood of all startups, right? Is um, figuring out how much ownership someone should get in an enterprise um, in exchange for taking you know, a, a depressed or below market rate salary. Um, what's hard about that is start, traditional startups get valued maybe once every 18 months or something. And it's usually a VC doing some relatively unsophisticated math yeah. to come up with the valuation. With crypto projects, when you have a liquid token, you know, to be clear, like tokens aren't equity or a lot of them aren't. Um, brain, the brain trust token is certainly not designed to be equity or a profit return mechanism. It's a governance and utility token on the network. Um, but, but it does have value insofar as it's useful, right? It, it represents control. Of I would network. argue that has more value in the things of tomorrow than equity does. Well, what's interesting is I've heard some VCs in the space say exactly the same thing. So we're a, a number of us are trying to figure out how to how to build a web three valuation network. And it's tough, right? It hasn't been done before. The, um, the normal kind of valuation frameworks for stock to flow and um, MV equals PQ, they just don't make any sense in utility networks. And so um, I've heard some, some really smart investors say exactly what you said is um, when something is finite and it represents control over a network, like how do you value that, right? It's certainly more valuable, more valuable than stock. Stock equity is just a claim on future profits. And, and, and tokens are a, a, a battery for future value in a way. You're, 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 you're tokenizing future value of these networks. So you're talking about owning a piece of the software of tomorrow, but it's not like someone is digitally issuing that license key. This is baked into the, the open source network code that these tokens run the network. So by owning a certain amount of tokens, and then when you hit, certain thresholds of ownership. And this is something that we could talk about in the larger ecosystem that I've learned is that there's a lot of, there's a different type of investor. When you own a certain amount of these tokens of a certain project, you start to feel like, uh, you start to feel like a moral, you have a moral responsibility to make this project great. And I love that because it's a, it's a much stronger tie-in than financial incentive. 100% agree. It's, it's, 
true ownership in the, in the real sense of the world, like the moral sense of the world, you know, ownership in economic terms means can mean a claim on profits. In, in, our, in our token world, it really does mean a, a sense of, of civil duty of, and it, it, we've seen that in our community. I mean, you see it, look at the ENS token drop that just happened. Yeah. Right. Like those folks, and I'm, I'm one of them genuinely care about that network. Um, deeply believe it is superior to centrally controlled DNS and that ENS token, like there are no sellers for so a reason. Cool. Yeah. We, we look at ownership sometimes through our like very limited lens. And, uh, I didn't know, for example, um, if you go to, uh, Delaware, for example, the state of Delaware, uh, e even, even, uh, someplace in Maryland. And uh, if you go to the beach to Delaware, you can't buy property. I know the Europeans are like, what? Yeah, you have 99-year leases on these yeah. things. So in a lot of places in the U.S., the concept of ownership of property is not like forever in perpetuity. You just have a 90-year lease or they have different names for it. That's how it is in Europe. If you want to buy a house in Amsterdam, you got to get permission of like the block warden and then you're just getting a right to lease for a long time. So if we look at kind of like that, and we say, wait a minute, if equity is like owning a house, but there are other ways of owning something or having the future right to it, tokenizing cash flow is the same thing of like a leasehold. Yeah, absolutely right. It's so cool. That's the amazing thing with tokens, right? They can be programmed to do just about anything. They can be programmed to look like securities, right? And that's what a security token is, I guess, if that's still a thing. Um, but having it be like your membership ticket into a network and, and your vote for... For brain trust, it's we forked compounds, Governor Alpha. It's one token, one vote, and we, you know we've had a, a lot of since we hit mainnet a lot of very lively discussions about what the future of the protocol should be. Mo discussions led by people who make their living on brain trust, so they have a they have a dog in the fight. Guys, we need to talk about how to use your Bitcoin and your USDC to earn you interest and make you more money. To do that, we're gonna talk about our newest sponsor, Ledin.io, a much better home for your Bitcoin. They're amazing. They're a secure, simple, and easy to use platform for managing and growing your digital wealth. On Ledin, you can earn interest on your Bitcoin and on your USDC with some of the industry's best rates. Earn 6.1% APY on your first two Bitcoin and 9% on all of your USDC. That's right, all you need to do is deposit your coins and you'll receive steady payouts at the end of each month just for leaving your coins with them. 6.1% on Bitcoin is pretty huge. You don't find that same kind of return elsewhere without taking a much greater risk. And 9% on your USDC? Think about what kind of rate you'll get if you had dollars sitting in your bank's savings account. Probably almost nothing. If you've got dollar savings sitting around, this seems like a no-brainer. All you need to do to sign up with Ledin is send a bit of Bitcoin or USDC their way and then sit back and let the interest accrue. So what are you waiting for? Go to untoldstories.link forward slash Ledin to start earning interest on your Bitcoin or USDC today. That's untoldstories.link forward slash Ledin. You're going to love them. Enjoy. We're all used to investing in different types of cryptos, and we know that you can buy as little as $1 worth of any coin or token, but you can't do the same thing with stocks, bonds, and ETFs and all those other like traditional assets. And then if you can, you can't do it all in the same place. Our newest sponsor, 
public.com. It's a super awesome community where they take your private your privacy seriously and you can get in there and trade slices of crypto, Bitcoin, all different coins and tokens and also stocks, bonds, ETFs, equities and it's all done in the same place. What I love about it is that you have all these different investors you can connect with with all walks of life, life gain confidence, ask questions, get the big picture with curated themes, talk to everyone, but they don't get involved in the order flow. They're not selling your data to all these other middlemen. And we got a very good special for you, my listeners, today. If you go to public.com forward slash untold stories and you start investing with $1, they're going to give you up to $50 in a free stock, a slice of a stock. That's all you got to do. Download the app, $1, you get 50 bucks worth. Public.com forward slash untold stories, valid for US residents, 18 plus only, subject to account approval. And make sure you check out public.com forward slash disclosures. There's no investment advice here. These guys have been doing and amalgamating all of these different types of community, stock, bonds, ETFs, cryptos, all together. Make sure you check it all out public.com forward slash untold stories. So this is something very cool that I've been noticing too. I've been talking to a lot of people on the show over the last few months uh, where their blockchains have matured, mainnets have launched, and you have very robust developer networks, users, abusers, you know, ones who are making sure that it's all working all the time. You have, I mean, you have the list of, of businesses, you know, you have four, that, that are using the marketplace right now is insane. What I'm noticing is that the old days of the, the highly volatile pump and dump of these more mature tokens is going away. And so much to say that I had a previous guest who calls his token a stable coin, even though it's not a state, not meant to be, but because the market is so perfected of buyers and sellers and demand and those who are earning it and those who are holding versus selling it, that you see like a nice, 10% appreciation year over year. But he's like, I like that. What do you what do you think? Do you think the futures of these tokens are like more stable, a slow appreciation growth? You're like, it's kind of a beautiful thing in a way. Yeah. I love this topic because I, I think uh there's there are more creative and probably more accurate ways to look at this than um assuming the US dollar is the um gold standard of stable coins, right? Like do a volatility wait is is bitcoin volatile or is the dollar volatile yeah flip point. the pair i would argue the dollar is way more volatile especially lately than bitcoin because the dollar is being in massively inflated and the government is completely mishandling it and yeah. we don't even know where this money's going it's paying people to stay home and not work which drives prices up and we're in this you know inflation death spiral hopefully not stagflation later and people say Bitcoin's uh, unstable. I don't know. I, I think we're thinking about it the wrong way. I think this is yeah. the, the idea of the, the dollar being the global reserve currency to me is becoming more and more anachronistic because of the way the, the Fed handles the supply. Do you think stagflation is, is where we're going to go in, in a few years from now? I sure hope not. I really do. Yeah, what I does that word look like? Um, you, you know, it, it's... Uh, like the 1970s type of thing. Yeah, like exactly. recession inflation it, where the demand doesn't keep up. Yeah. And, and you know, just raising interest rates can't stop it. And it, it becomes this kind of death spiral where people can't afford goods and, and, and the currency, you know, becomes more and more meaningless. And it's, um, I hope we don't get there. 
I'm like scared of this topic, but we need to talk about it a little bit because I need to keep everyone aware. I w- I talked to a lot of uh, high people who went through hyperinflation. I've I've had friends who went through hyperinflation in 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 East Germany to you know from actually one of my good friends runs one of the largest Bitcoin ATM companies in the U.S. who went through like the hyperinflation. Grew up in East Germany, like that's what I, that's what the people like uh, Leonard Lopin from Byte Federal. If anyone wants to listen to that show. That's what's uh, crazy. So these folks have been through it. And I went to school. I learned about a stable dollar, stable currencies. But then I'm just looking at my adult life. I'm 30, a little over 30 years old. My adult life, I've been through 2008, 2009, 2011, 2001. I look, I, 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 I thank God, I thank Satoshi every day because I look back. And since 2009, the only stability that I've had is my wife and Bitcoin. That's it. The dollar has not been something that I could rely on. And I'm not saying this like I'm not this crazy lunatic. This is personally, this is me. I can't rely on it anymore. It's scary. I don't like talking yeah. about it though. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm <laughs> with you, man. Well, it, 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 as long as you got a great wife, which it sounds like you do, I've heard you talk a lot about her and, and, and you got enough Bitcoin, life is good. I just heard this morning, um, I can't believe I'm actually starting to hear folks say, well, one way that that governments or businesses or actually the 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 future of the dollar rests on the fed buying bitcoin and keeping it on its balance sheet because satoshi was very smart bitcoin no one created it it's its own it was created by the people for all we know satoshi was a group of a, a 10,000 people that are really good at keeping a secret so bitcoin was created by the people for the people it's the most american thing in the world uh, so if you have, that is the future of the dollar 3.0. It's why China is trying to get their own central bank digital currency. And sure as hell, they're holding Bitcoin on their on their balance sheet. Yeah, well, they've been mining most of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, the central bank digital currency thing, it's just a control, right? It, it's, it's how you make sure you can call back supply as opposed to the system we have now where we print, 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 and... They think raising in, you know, in the old days, inter- raising interest rates was, would be the way to call back supply. It just doesn't work that way anymore. And so we, the, the, the Fed here has a strong incentive to use a central bank digital currency. But, um, but I, th- I think that comment is true. The, the more hard money that backs these fiat currencies, and the hardest of hard money, of course, is Bitcoin, the, the safer these fiat currencies' future is. Um, I, I'm a little more pessimistic than that, though. I, I think this thing is out of the yeah. bottle. Um, it, really? You know, being in dollars, it, it, I think the dollars is probably m- maybe the best of the fiats. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, don't the last domino. Yeah, but it, yeah, but it, but it's still the worst store of value at this point. Now that you have all these other um, uh, permissionless, um, yeah. highly secure layer ones. So I I use. Um... We hire a lot of editors for the show, uh, uh, sound engineers. We do a lot of different type of like tech jobs that are very specialized, but I don't care where you're based. You know, the podcast, we, we go live, we record from, from all over the world. I use, I use another uh, uh, one of these like gig economy marketplaces. Why should I start using Braintrust? Well, um, chances are you're, you're using something like Upwork or Fiverr for yep. kind of smaller jobs. Um, Totally great. We we use them once in a while too. It's they're they're very different things. Um, Brain Trust is a network for people who want 
essentially full-time work. Like they want gigs that they can live off of. Um, So, so I'll give you, give an example, like the Upwork's normal job size is $500. The average job on brain trust is is something like $77,000. And so you can have a programmer, computer programmer on both sites, but because the rake, the fees are so high on Upwork, Goldman Sachs is not going to come put a hundred thousand dollar job on Upwork or Fiverr. They're going to come to Brain Trust to do it. So Brain Trust okay. is 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 an enterprise talent network, um, and, and it's really above that. It's a protocol for work, right? It could, now Brain Trust could get into and compete with lower. Uh, no, but you don't need to. Like for example, I'm I'm right now trying to hire. If anyone's listening, I'm looking to hire someone who like worked for a comedy. TV show. So if you worked for like Jon Stewart, if you worked for like Saturday Night Live, if you worked for any variety show type of thing and you know crypto, you're a com- comedian and you write jokes, I want to hire you. This is a six figure job. You know, work full time for untold stories. I can find this person on Brain Trust. Not not today. We're, so we're not. Oh, in come that on. Category. You're killing me. Oh, I know, there. I mean, how, how many people are fit that description? Very, <laughs> very Probably. few. 20 people in the world, but, but so, I mean, the, the bigger idea here is like brain, brain trust is an open protocol for work that connects um, any kind of talent with big clients. We, we have focused traditionally, it's only the project's only been live for 18 months. We focused traditionally on big enterprise companies like Nike and Goldman Sachs, finding technical talent, designers, programmers, product managers. The protocol is open source. It could be used for any category. That's so right? cool. we, we've had people come to us and say, how about brain trust for lawyers? Right, we should unbundle the law firm, and so I can imagine someone using the protocol for that. Brain trust for television writers, it's a great idea, right? It's but it's it's not something like I'll work on, right? I, oh, I, the, so this is like an open source whole ecosystem now. You got it, you got it, man. Yeah, oh, that's the whole point. That's so right? cool. So, so we built this playbook in hopes that other people that love other categories. I'm I've been in tech category for a long time, so I I'm going to stay in this category, but. We've had lawyers come to us and say we should we're, we're going to build uh, the legal category out. I'm going to do it for trust. actors. I'm going to do like go. Brain Trust Hollywood, and I'm going to do writers, producers, actors, directors, you know. And then you have to have the whole. And this is the thing: you look at. Um, here's a great example. I'm sorry for constantly cutting you off, but no, 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 please, I want to use awesome. the film industry. The yeah. ones who do the most work get paid the least. The grips, the ones, the cameramen. I just was living on a film set for 30 days. These are like the freaking soldiers. They are the front men and women, actually more women than men now, but that are literally putting on the show. They get paid the least. They get yeah. paid the least because they're the last ones that people worry about. There was almost a huge strike in Hollywood a few weeks ago because they were trying to, but why is it that their unions are negotiating on behalf of like grips who live in upstate New York? It makes no sense. Brain trust Hollywood. You're talking about, efficient price discovery for every industry. 100%, dude. And think, think about it. It would disintermediate agents. Writing that right? down. Think about how much agents take out of talent's paychecks, right? It, it, it's, you know, 20, 30, yeah. 40%. That's what yeah, Braintrust is set it's up. It's 30%. Your manager takes around 10, 15 for the agent, and then five for, there's always points that you have to pay someone. So if you're, yeah. and most people don't realize that Right now, I just did a movie right now, like these actors aren't making copious amounts of money. There's like 12 actors are, but the average actor 
who you see on billboards who, you know, Cobra Kai type people, $30,000, $40,000 for a movie. Like, and that's if you're really good. That's if you're maybe 50. Maybe Seth Rogen or whatever is getting 70000 So it's not something that, that can trickle down to all these different people. I mean, imagine an open source tokenized network that connects the producers with the talent they need. It's, it's brain trust, but for Hollywood, absolutely. Uh, we're about to do a, a film in, in, in Scotland. And that film is based on getting the best actors and actresses in Scotland because the, the film can't afford to bring in people from outside of Scotland. Uh, if there was a mechanism in which you can create very specific metrics, you want someone who's done horror films, who has th these you know, uh, uh, physical or, or psychological attributes who's went through potentially people who went through trauma that could play on that. Potentially people who, you know, you have to have certain type of things, tall, short, whatever, uh, who live in Scotland. Like that doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Well, you got to go through actor breakdowns and pay casting directors. And by the time all said and done, that actor's making $3,000, but you, it costs you 13 yeah. to find that person. It's amazing the similarities with with brain trust. Your it's skills, location, or which time zone will you serve? Since the work's all done remotely, yeah. Language, right? So you you take that whole archetype, like the whole database that you're talking about, and you apply it for actors. You know, tall, short. Uh, you know, to tone of voice, accents you can do, whatever, and style of acting you do. And it's a taxonomy that every actor signs up for, creates their profile. You can import, maybe even import your IMDb. And then producers, can, when they get on the ground, can just tap right into it and do casting calls right off that network and pay people through the network. And then, and then, like in a decade from now, someone could borrow money to get a house based on the work that they've done and the future work that they're going to do. Absolutely. At a very efficient if, rate. If you think about the, the, the token that would run this network, I'll just, I'll just use our network to, to for the brain trust network because I know it the best, but if you earn a lot of brain, the only way to earn brain trust tokens is to help build the network. You can invite more talent, vet the talent, um, invite clients. All of our, most of our clients came from network invitations, referral engine. You earn tokens for doing that. If the tokens end up being valuable because they control the network, yeah, borrow against them, and there you go. It's and that'll create more price discovery because what'll happen is folks who have money will want to lend to very, very highly specialized, you know, actors or tech people or whatever category you're in. Those are the perfect people to lend to. And then what's going to happen is banks are going to say, if you're not on Brain Trust, we won't lend you money. And that is when we're getting to the next level, Adam Jackson. I thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories because now we're blowing people's minds here. Now we're blowing people's minds. This is crazy. Charlie, big, big, big fan. And uh, this was an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I just want to ask you, like, what do you envision five years from now Brain Trust look like? Do you, look, do you think you're going to have dozens and dozens, hundreds of different Brain Trusts all contributing to the same type of, of ecosystem? Here's what I see. So Brain Trust is a protocol for information workers, knowledge workers to leave their cubicles, their W-2 jobs where they're being underutilized at some corporation and being forced to go to an office and work on things they don't want to peel out 
and specialize on just the things they want to do when they want to do them from where they want to work at an hourly rate they think is fair. Everyone becomes their own business. Everyone becomes their own freelancer. This is what the gig economy promised to folks that deliver food to people and products. Um, and it ended up being kind of exploitative, right? Yeah, because, it stopped there. It yeah, never Do- went DoorDash to ends level. up making all the money, right? Do- yeah. DoorDash pushes restaurants into negative gross margins and doesn't pay Dash, you know, pays Dashers well below the minimum wage, the federal minimum wage of $15. Turns out it was just an exploitation of labor. Um, and that is still true today. Um, brain trust is the opposite. It, it doesn't charge the talent any rake. It's transparent. It gets out of the way. It lets the users who make their living on the network also control it. And so we're just in this narrow category of IT outsourcing today. In 10 years, I see every lawyer works through, through this, every accountant, everyone who sort of is a knowledge worker. There's no reason to have a full-time job. There's no reason to belong to a firm that takes 50% of your revenue. You control your own destiny. We've been on this theme of smart cities, and that's going to be part of that puzzle piece too, is that smart cities will hire smart people to do the work. So the person or the people that are hired by the smart city, by the DAOs that are governing these cities, it's so cool, are going to be tapping into these brain trusts. Oh my God, I could do a whole show. I could do a whole season on smart cities. Oh my God, I I am obsessed with smart cities. I love the idea. The cool thing about it is that the people who want to talk about smart cities the most are the politicians. Like my local mayor downstairs, he's literally having coffee downstairs right now. If I bring him up in the studio to talk about smart cities, he's going to be all over it. Like people love talking about this and it is the future. The mayors, the councilmen, the city that you live in, uh, you look at the news just like, and COVID really gave a lot. And that's one of the benefits that came out of COVID, I would say, because there are good things that came out of this whole epidemic that we went through the pandemic, sorry, is that home rule. We saw the power of cities again. This, the San Francisco City Council has more power than the county or the state government. And states are more than happy to defer that power to local city council. I think that's an amazing thing. I, I think it is too. And it now, and now it matters quite a lot who your mayor yeah. is, right? Just ask anyone who lives in San Francisco or Los Angeles how much that matters. And uh, I, I'm very glad that where you live, they're, they're talking about smart cities. Where I live in San Francisco, You'll never hear that term. Never, never, never. Yeah. Your city has a lot of other things that's, that they're dealing with right now. I don't think there's time for smart cities. But um, Agreed. But on that note, I'm a big, I'm a big, I'm a bull on, on things that people are bearish on. So as soon as people are like the end of cities, I'm bullish on cities. So, Me too. you know, buy when there's blood. Warren Buffett, he may not like Bitcoin, but he said something smart. He said, buy when there's blood on the streets. Never been wrong about that. So, I mean, they, Adam, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories. My listeners, thank you guys for another amazing day. And I'm very excited to see you back in a few days. Talk about smart cities and all the cool, fun stuff. So have a great week. Thank you, Adam. Thanks, Charlie. Great to see you.